Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our daily reading conference call on A Course in Miracles, and happy Valentine's Day. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles, original edition, published by our very fine friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, where if you mouse the link at top for online edition, you'll have a drop-down menu that will reveal read A-C-I-M-O-E. On one of the tabs also, there's an option to subscribe to receive a daily excellent email from the Course in Miracles Society that includes both the text reading that we share in the morning as well as the lesson for the day. My name is Lori Cameron. This calls Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern. Today we continue our reading of Chapter 4, The Root of All Evil, with Section 7, The Constant State. We're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 45, God is the mind with which I think. And by way of opening this morning, I was really happy to open this email that I received from uh, Marianne Williamson. I think the program is called Transform. It's a free subscription service um, that sends out a morning meditation. Today was just perfect for the lesson. It goes like this. May my mind, may my mind be a touchstone for love today. May I be divinely programmed today to think thoughts that are the most creative, positive, insightful, and beneficial. In doing so, I do not give up personal responsibility or turn my power over to something outside myself. Rather, I take the highest level of responsibility, asking God to make my mind a literal touchstone for his love. As I think with love, I co-create with God a space for miraculous breakthroughs. I walk forward in confidence today, having prayed that my mind will be used for holy purposes. I pray that God's Spirit overshadow my mind today, rearranging all false perceptions and uplifting them to divine right order. May wrong-minded perceptions dissolve in the presence of endless love for myself and others. That is the mind with which I think. Amen. Oh, thanks for that. That was good. Thank you. You bet. It sure fit the day, didn't it, friend? So, oh, really? <laughs> it did. <laughs> Sheds the light on our reading, too, I thought. Okay, my friends, here's our reading list. We have Fran, Jessica, Donna, Diana, and Robin Marie. And we're joined in listening this morning so far by Judy. And that's that's our full little VW van so far. <laughs> so let's go ahead and take off in Chapter 4. The root of all evil, that would be the authority problem. Section 7, Constant State. Starting today at paragraph 81. 
It cannot be emphasized too often that correcting perception is merely a temporary expedient. It is necessary to do so only because misperception is a block to knowledge, while accurate perception is a stepping stone towards it. The whole value of right perception lies in the inevitable judgment which it entails that it is unnecessary. This removes the block entirely. You may ask how this is possible as long as you appear to be living in this world. And since this is a sensible question, it has a sensible answer. You must be careful, however, that you really understand the question. What is the so-called you who are living in this world? Pray. Chapter 4, The Root of All Evil, Section 7, The Constant State, and Paragraph 81. It cannot be emphasized too often that correcting perception is merely a temporary expedient. It is necessary to do so only because misperception is a block to knowledge, while accurate perception is a stepping stone towards it. The whole value of right perception lies in the inevitable judgment which it entails that it is unnecessary. This removes the block entirely. You may ask how this is possible as long as you appear to be living in this world. And since this is a sensible question, it has a sensible answer. You must be careful, however, that you really understand the question. What is the quote-unquote you who are living in this world? 82. Immortality is a constant state. It is as true now as it ever was or ever will be because it implies no change at all. It is not a continuum, nor is it understood by being compared to an opposite. Knowledge never involves comparisons. That is an essential difference from everything else the mind can grasp. Quote, a little knowledge, unquote, is not dangerous except to the ego. Vaguely, it senses threat, and being unable to realize that a little knowledge is a meaningless phrase called, quote, unquote, all, and, quote, unquote, a little, in this context are the same. The ego decides that all is impossible. The fear does not lie there. A little, however, is a scarcity concept, and this the ego understands well. A little, then, is perceived as the real threat. Thank you, Fran. Uh, and Jessica. <clears throat> 82. Immortality is a constant state. It is as true now as it ever was or ever will be because it implies no change at all. It is not a continuum, nor is it understood by being compared to an opposite. Knowledge never involves comparisons. That is its essential difference from everything else the mind can grasp. Quote, a little knowledge is not dangerous except to the ego. Vaguely, it senses threat, 
and being unable to realize that, quote, a little knowledge is a meaningless phrase since, quote, all and, quote, a little in this context are the same. The ego decides that since, quote, all is impossible, the fear does not lie there. Quote, a little, however, is a scarcity concept, and this the ego understands well. A little, then, is perceived as the real threat. The essential thing to remember is that the ego does not recognize the real source of its perceived threat. And if you associate yourself with the ego, you do not perceive the whole situation as it is. Only your allegiance to it gives the ego any power over you. Thank you, Jessica. I'm Tona. Eighty-three. The essential thing to remember is that the ego does not recognize the real, the real source of its perceived threat. And if you associate yourself with the ego, you do not perceive the whole situation as it is. Only your allegiance to it gives the ego any power over you. 84. We have spoken of the ego as if it were a separate thing acting on its own. This was necessary to persuade you that you cannot dismiss it lightly and must realize how much of your thinking is ego-directed. We cannot safely let go, let it go at that. However, or you will regard yourself as necessarily conflicted as long as you are here, or more properly, as long as you believe you are here. Thank you, Donna and Diana. Number 84, we have spoken of the ego as if it were a separate thing acting on its own. This is necessary to persuade you that you cannot dismiss it lightly and must realize how much of your thinking is ego-directed. We cannot safely let it go at that. However, um, or you will regard yourself as necessarily conflicted as long as you are here, or more properly, as long as you believe that you are here. 85. The ego is nothing more than a part of your belief about yourself. Your other life has continued without interruption and has been and always will be totally unaffected by your attempts to disassociate. The ratio of repression and disassociation varies with the individual ego illusion, but disassociation is always involved or you would not believe 
that you are here. In learning to escape from the illusions you have made, your greatest debt to each other is something you must never forget. It is exactly the same debt that you owe to me. Whenever you react egotistically toward each other, you have, or rather, you are throwing away the graciousness of your indebtedness and the holy perception it will produce. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. I'm Robin Marie. The ego is nothing more than a part of your belief about yourselves. Your other life has continued without interruption and has been and always will be totally unaffected by your attempts to disassociate. The rate of repression and dissociation varies with the individual ego illusion, but dissociation is always involved, or you would not believe that you are here. In learning to escape from the illusions you have made, your great debt to each other is something you must never forget. It is exactly the same debt that you owe to me. Whenever you react egotistically towards each other, you are throwing away the graciousness of your indebtedness and the holy perception it would produce. 86. The term, quote, holy, unquote, can be used here because as you learn how much you are indebted to the whole sonship, which includes me, you come as close to knowledge as perception ever can. The gap is then so small that knowledge can easily flow across it and obliterate it forever. You have very little trust in me as yet, but it will increase as you turn more and more often to me instead of your egos for guidance. The results will convince you increasingly that your choice in turning to me is the only sane one you can make. No one who has learned from experience that one choice brings peace and joy while another brings chaos and disaster needs much conditioning. Thank you, Robin Marie. And would we have a new reader for 86 and 87? Eighty-six and eighty-seven. All right, back to you, Fran. Eighty-six. The term, quote, unquote, holy can be used here because as you learn how much you are indebted to the whole friendship, which includes me, you come as close to knowledge as perception ever can. The gap is then so small 
that knowledge can easily flow across them and obliterate it forever. You have very little trust in me as yet, but it will increase as you turn more and more often to me instead of your egos for guidance. The results will convince you increasingly that your choice in turning to me is the only sane one you can make. No one who has learned from experience that one choice brings peace and joy while another brings chaos and disaster needs much conditioning. 87. The ego cannot withstand the conditioning process because the process itself demonstrates that there is another way. Conditioning by rewards has always been more effective than conditioning by pain because pain is an ego illusion and can never induce more than a temporary effect. The rewards of God, however, are immediately recognized as eternal. Since this recognition is made by you and not the ego, the recognition itself establishes that you and your ego cannot be identical. You may believe that you have already accepted the difference, but you are by no means convinced as yet. The very fact that you are preoccupied with the idea of escaping from the ego shows this. Thank you, Fran. Uh, Jessica. 87. The ego cannot withstand the conditioning process because the process itself demonstrates that there is another way. Conditioning by rewards has always been more effective than conditioning by pain because pain is an ego illusion and can never induce more than a temporary effect. The rewards of God, however, are immediately recognized as eternal. Since this recognition is made by you and not the ego, the recognition itself establishes that you and your ego cannot be identical. You may believe that you have already accepted the difference, but you are by no means convinced as yet. The very fact that you are preoccupied with the idea of escaping from from the ego shows this. You cannot escape from the ego by humbling it or controlling it or punishing it. Remember that the ego and the soul do not know each other. The separated mind cannot maintain the separation except by dissociating. Having done this, it utilizes repression against all truly natural impulses, not because the ego, the, not because the ego is a separate thing, but because you want to believe that you are. The ego is a device for maintaining this belief, but it is only your willingness to use the device that enables it to endure. Thank you, Jessica. Uh, Donna. 88. You cannot escape from the ego by humbling it or controlling it or punishing it. Remember that the ego and the soul do not know each other. The separated mind cannot maintain the separation except by dissociating. Having done this, it utilizes repression 
against all truly natural impulses. <clears throat> but not but having done this, it utilizes its repression against all truly natural impulses. Not because the ego is a separate thing, but because you want to believe that you are. The ego is a device for maintaining this belief, but it is still only your willingness to use the device that enables it to endure. 89. My trust in you is greater than yours in me at the moment. But it will not always be that way. Your mission is very simple. You have been chosen to live so as to demonstrate that you are not an ego. I repeat that I do not choose God's channels wrongly. The Holy One shares my trust and only approves and always approves my atonement decisions because my will is never out of accord with his. I have told you before that I am in charge of the whole atonement. This is only because I completed my part in it as a man and can now complete it through other men. My chosen receiving and sending channels cannot fail because I will lend them my strength as long as theirs is wanting. Thank you, Donna. And Robert Marie. Eighty nine. My trust in you is greater than yours in me at the moment, but it will not always be that way. Your mission is very simple. You have been chosen to live so as to demonstrate that you are not an ego. I repeat that I do not choose God's channels wrongly. The Holy One shares my trust and always approves my atonement decisions because my will is never out of accord with his. I have told you before that I am in charge of the whole atonement. This is only because I completed my part in it as a man and can now complete it through other men. My chosen receiving and sending channels cannot fail because I will win them my strength as long as theirs is wanting. 90. I will go with you to the Holy One, and through my perception, he can bridge the little gap. Your gratitude to each other is the only gift I want. I will bring it to God for you, knowing that to know your brother is to know God. A little knowledge is an all-encompassing thing. If you are grateful to each other, you are grateful to God for what he created. Through your gratitude, you can come to know each other, and one moment of real recognition makes all men your brothers because they are all of your father. 
Love does not conquer all things, but it does set all things right. Because you are all the kingdom of God, I can lead you back to your own creations, which you do not know yet, which you do not yet know. What has been disassociated is still there. Thank you, Ava Marie. And would there be a new reader for 90 and 91? New reader for 90 and 91? Am I muted? Uh, I'll read. There, um, you skipped me. Um, how about, did I skip you, Diana? Oh, yes, I am yes. so sorry. <laughs> All right, Diana, I am so sorry. So we'll do Diana, no then problem. Judy, huh? Okay. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Um, let me, I'm go, reading 90, I believe. Okay. Yes, yes you are. 91 there. I'm watching you. I'm watching you, Lori. <laughs> Playing with you. Okay, 90. I will go with you to the Holy One. And through my perception, he can bridge the little gap. Your gratitude to each other is the only gift I want. I will bring it to God for you, knowing that to know your brother is to know God. A little knowledge is all-encompassing thing. If you are grateful to each other, you will be grateful to God for what he created. Through your gratitude, you can come to know each other. And one moment of real recognition makes all men your brother because they are of, they are all of your father. Love does not conquer all things, but it does set things straight because you are all the kingdom of God. I can lead you back to your own creation, which you not yet know. What has been disassociated is still there. 91. As you come closer to your brother, you do approach me, and as you withdraw from him, I become distant to you. Your giant step forward was to assist on a collaborative venture, quote, unquote, collaborative venture. This does not go against the true spirit of meditation. It is inherent in it. Meditation is a collaborative venture with God. It cannot be undertaken successfully by those who disengage themselves from the sonship because they are disengaging themselves from me. God will come to you only as you will give him to your brothers. Learn first of them, and you will be ready to hear God as you hear them. That is because the function of love is one. 
Thank you. Thank you, Diana. Uh, and then Judy, please. Thank you, Lori. As you come closer to her brother, you do approach me. And as you withdraw from him, I become distant to you. Your giant step forward was to insist on a, quote, collaborative venture, unquote. This does not go against the true spirit of meditation. It is inherent in it. Meditation is a collaborative venture with God. It cannot be undertaken successfully by those who disengage themselves from the capital sonship because they are disengaging themselves from me. God will come to you only as you will give capital him to your brothers. Learn first of them, and you will be ready to hear God as you hear them. That is because the function of love is one. That is because the function of love is one. How can you teach someone the value of something he has deliberately thrown away? He must have thrown it away because he did not value it. You can only show him how miserable he is without it and bring it near very slowly so he can learn how his misery lessens as he approaches it. This conditions him to associate his misery with its absence and to associate the opposite of misery with its presence. It gradually becomes desirable as he changes his mind about its worth. Thank you, Judy. And would there be another new reader for 92 and 93? 92 and 93? Okay, Fran, back to you. 92. <clears throat> How can you teach someone the value of something he has deliberately thrown away? He must have thrown it away because he did not value it. You can only show him how miserable he is without it and bring it near very slowly so he can learn how his misery lessens as he approaches it. This conditions him to associate his misery with his absence and to associate the opposite of misery with his presence. It gradually becomes desirable as he changes his mind about its worth. 93. I am conditioning you to associate misery with the ego and joy with the soul. You have conditioned yourselves the other way around. A far greater reward, however, will break through any conditioning if it is repeatedly offered whenever the old habit pattern is broken. You are still free to choose, but can you really want the rewards of the ego in the presence of the rewards of God? Hmm.
Wow, what a good last question. <laughs> Thank you, Fran. And uh, Jessica. Uh, Jessica, are you there? Can you read 93? Okay, we'll skip to Donna for 93. 93. I'm conditioning you to associate misery with the ego and joy with the soul. You have conditioned yourselves the other way around. A far greater reward, however, will break through any conditioning if it is repeatedly offered whenever the old habit pattern is broken. You are still free to choose, but can you really want the rewards of the ego in the presence of the rewards of God? Thank you, Donna. Thank you, everyone who read this this morning and for joining with us as we read about the constant state. Let's see here. We have about seven minutes before the top of the hour. Um, Let's open the floor for first impressions. Um, Hi, this is Diana. I like that 92 a lot. Um, this is Donna. I can just say that that was my first impression. And um, I'm beginning to realize every I and my and me and mine of the speaker is Jesus Christ. That's becoming very real to me now. And I'm not so sure that I stayed alert to that in the past. I pass. Thank you, Donna. And Diana, you were uh, saying about two, was it? Well, really, I'm just trying to wake up. It's like I'm having an awakening, and it kind of stemmed a little bit from what Judy shared in the after call yesterday with. And I know I've heard it probably a hundred times before, but for some reason through your shares, through Lemoyne, through everybody else's. But yesterday, I kind of had a little light light breakthrough. Oh, on 91, when it said, um, the closer you come to a brother, you do approach me. And as you withdraw from him, I become distant to you. And I think the ego's function is to create upset in you. That is, you know, it doesn't want you to know God. And the ego isn't real. And what comes with him, like hate, or those feelings that come up that are opposed to God, are also unreal, except for you making them real. And I think so... If we have a thought like that, we have to let it go through us. Don't attach to it in any way because it gives that energy that supports the ego. If we can let notice it and know, okay, I don't want to feel that way, number one, 
and it's not real. Number two, love is the only real thing here. I am going to shed. I'm going to, I'm going to turn some light on that feeling out for love so it can dissolve it and loosen it and make it less of a, a threat to myself and stand in and asking the opposite, what is it about this brother that I love or what can I love or what, you know, uh, uh, coming back to the oneness that that connects us in love. Anyway, I, I just I might not be making sense, but I am in my own way understanding this lesson a little more. I'm complete. Yeah, that was beautiful, Diana. I'm so happy yeah. you shared that. Thank, Thank you, Diana. You, Diana. I also like 91, Diana. I really love the the fact that it says with, um, it says that the collaborative venture is the true spirit of meditation. Meditation is a collaborative venture with God. So as we learn to come closer to our brothers, well, and doing that means also with our form, with doing things with them, listening to him or her, becoming closer, becoming part of them, we're actually meditating with God, which is, I had never thought of that either. Thank you for bringing up that paragraph. I pass. Thank you for your share. Uh, Thank you. That, that was beautiful, Robin I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah, I think I think the secret is even like in twelve step work, pray for the person you're having a problem with. That is probably the greatest prayer you can have because if you don't want to, for a prayer to want to to want to dissolve those differences, that's where. You know, it's it's a true act of love for yourself when you can do that. And I'm complete. Oh, for sure. Thank you, Diana. Uh, thank you. Hi guys, it's Jude. Um, you know, I've been practicing the lesson in the morning, so I—it's like I had to. Um, I, <laughs> my mind was so still; it was like I couldn't even talk. <laughs> but aren't you guys lucky? I've, it's come back to me now. <laughs> oh, this is one of my favorite parts of the text because it explains the difference in my beingness to me, my being the way God created me, to be in a constant state of happiness, of joy, loving forgiveness, acceptance, unconditional love, the love that doesn't ask for anything, doesn't want to get anything, Um, you know, which isn't something that I'm trying to become some kind of idealized state it's something that I am trying to recognize as 
how God created me naturally, and it speaks of this natural, this natural impulses in paragraph 88 um, that I, I'm, I'm truly naturally loving, and the impulse for me to be loving is very natural. And it's actually an, an ego, it, it takes effort, and it's a strain to not be loving. That's what the ego strain and effort is all about. It's because I distance myself from my creator. I distance my mind. I separate, dissociate my mind from perfect love. And um, resting in it this morning, um, I get a real strong sense of this dis-ease that comes with being in the ego because I've lived in the ego for so long and that disassociated state, um, that separated state, and it is a state of um, discomfort and dis-ease, uh, restless, irritable, you know, discontent, um, which are three words that are used in um, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in referring to the alcoholic mind, which is, you know, the mind of the ego, it's a, it's a separated, um, fearful state of mind. And um, so my mission is very simple. I have been chosen to live as to demonstrate that I'm not an ego. But this is a choice. And, you know, there's, it uses this, this word willingness. It's still my own willingness to use the device, the ego device, that enables it to endure. And I learned 20 years ago that that the word willful should be used there. The ego, ego isn't willing. It's not willing to, to follow God's guidance. It's not even willing to ask for God's guidance because it does not want to lose control over its own behavior, its own thinking, its own behavior. Judy's will Judy's egoic thinking, which is willful, it's not willing. She wants to control people, places, and things in order for her to be comfortable and to recognize that it really doesn't do anything. It's really meaningless, and it's, it, it's, it's a part of being asleep in the dream. And so for me to, 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 to discern that I'm disassociating myself from the entirety, the whole totality of how God created me to be in a state of union, in a state of grace, in a state of peace with everything and everybody, in an open-mindedness and a, you know, generosity of spirit, welcoming of spirit. Um, but this, this asking Asking first, someone said it. Give, giving my body and my mind over to the control of Christ in the morning. It's a part of my practice. You know, take my body. Teach me how insignificant it is. Take all the thoughts of my body. Take all my thoughts about the world. All my opinions, my meaningless personal thoughts about the world, because the way I'm perceiving it, through Judy's eyes, through the eyes of perception. I'm seeing a meaningless world because all I'm seeing is Judy's willful needs and sense of lack in it. So 
flip the coin. I'm full. I'm complete. I have everything. God's given me everything. There's nothing I need or want. It's only a thought that comes and goes, temporaneous, and any thought that I think, anything that I think I want in this world will hurt me. It's an idol, you know, a, a judgment idol made according to the unstable scales of desire. <laughs> I think I want it. I think I want it. I think I need it. You know, it's like, really? So I can be in a constant state of peace and joy um, with my, within my own soul, within my one holy united mind with God. Um, but we have conditioned ourselves the other way around. Um, and it speaks of the rewards of the ego. These habitual old pattern thoughts. Um, you know, I don't need a thing. I don't want a thing. And every time I say that to myself for a long time, I, I broke that pattern. And I, so I could recognize who is this me that I think is in this world and, and coming back to my true self, like, like Donna said, who is the me that I think I am? Am I identifying with my home as, as being in a body? My, my home is, my body is in the house in the world? Or am I a mind in, in, united in the mind of God? And those are the two choices. The only two real choices I, I need to know and understand that I have to make because either I'm going to God for direction and guidance or I'm on my own little itty-bitty self and seeking outside of myself for something I need not seek for because I already am capital IT. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Judy. Uh, thank you, Judy. This is Ida. Thank you, Judy. Hi, Ida. <laughs> Hi. I, I don't have a lot to say, but I like the reading, and I want to say this, too. God is the mind with which I think. That is for myself that I say it in front of you. Thank you. Thank you, Ida. Thank and you, that's Ida. precisely what I was where I was thinking we might go and just take a holy pause with our lesson this morning. Um, God is the mind with which I think. And so, Fran, if you'd lead us again this morning, I'd sure appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Thank you. We're in the first part of the workbook, and the lesson that we're on today is Lesson 45. God is the mind with which I think. So I shall read the lesson and then we'll do our five-minute practice on it. God is the mind with which I think. Today's idea holds the key to what your real thoughts are. They are nothing that you think you think, just as nothing that you think you see is related to vision in any way. There is no relationship between what is real and what you think is real. Nothing that you think are your real thoughts resembles your real thoughts in any respect. Nothing that you think you see bears any resemblance to what vision will show you. 
You think with the mind of God. Therefore, you share your thoughts with him, and he shares his with you. They are the same thoughts because they are thought by the same mind. To share is to make alike or to make one. Nor do the thoughts you think with the mind of God leave your mind because thoughts do not leave their source. Therefore, your thoughts are in the mind of God as you are. They are in your mind as well where he is. As you are part of his mind, so are your thoughts part of his thoughts. Where then are your real thoughts? Today we will attempt to reach them. We will have to look for them in your mind because that is where they are. They must still be there because they cannot have left. What is thought by the mind of God is eternal, being part of creation. Our three five-minute practice periods for today will take the same general form that we used in applying yesterday's idea. We will attempt to leave the unreal and seek for the real. We will deny the world in favor of truth. We will not let the thoughts of the world hold us back, and we will not let the beliefs of the world tell us that what God would have us do is impossible. Instead, we will try to recognize that only what God would have us do is possible. We will also try to understand that only what God would have us do is what we want to do. And we will also try to remember that we cannot fail in doing what he would have us do. There is every reason to feel confident that you will succeed today. It is the will of God. Begin the exercises for today by repeating the idea to yourself. Closing your eyes as you do so. Spend a fairly short period in thinking a few relevant thoughts of your own, keeping the idea in mind as you do so. After you have added some four or five thoughts of your own, repeat the idea again and tell yourself gently, my real thoughts are in my mind. I would like to find them. Then try to go past all the unreal thoughts that cover the truth in your mind and reach to the eternal. Under all the senseless thoughts and mad ideas with which you have cluttered up your mind are the thoughts which you thought with God in the beginning. They are there in your mind now, completely unchanged. They will always be in your mind, exactly as they were. Everything that you have thought since then will change but the foundation on which they rest is wholly changeless. It is this foundation toward which the exercises for today are directed. Here is your mind joined with the mind of God. Here are your thoughts one with his. For this kind of practice, only one thing is necessary. Approach it as you would an altar dedicated in heaven itself to God the Father and God the Son. For such is the place you are trying to reach. You will probably be unable as yet to realize how high you are trying to go. Yet even with the little understanding you have already gained, you should be able to remind yourself that there is no idle game but an exercise in holiness and an attempt to reach the kingdom of heaven. In using the shorter form for applying today's idea, try to remember how important it is to you to understand the holiness of the mind which thinks with God. 
Take a minute or two as you repeat the idea throughout the day to appreciate your mind's holiness. Stand aside, however briefly, from all thoughts that are unworthy of him whose host you are and thank him for the thoughts he is thinking with you. Lesson 45. God is the mind with which I think. Five minutes.
Now I'll read the paragraph from the review of Lesson 45. God is the mind with which I think. I have no thoughts I do not share with God. I have no thoughts apart from Him because I have no mind apart from His. As part of His mind, my thoughts are His and His thoughts are mine. Lesson 45. God is the mind with which I think. Amen. Oh, man. Amen. Beautifully done. Thank you, Fran. Thank you. I I like the words. I like the way it sounds on page uh, um, um, 89. It makes me feel happy when I hear the words, you have been chosen. <laughs> he, he, he chose us. We have been chosen to live so we can demonstrate that you are not the ego. I don't know. It just makes me happy to read that, that he had enough belief in me with the thoughts that come up to know that I'm beyond that, that I am him and his thoughts. It's just, it's like a little Valentine message. I love it. I'm complete. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Diana. We were talking about the ease of ease of our practice, and it says in you know the recognition that correcting perceptions merely a temporary expedient. It's necessary only because misperception is a block to knowledge. Once we know who we are, the whole value of right perception. It, we recognize it. We don't have to judge any of it because none of it is. <laughs> makes it really easy thank you I'm complete thank you thank you Judy thank you Judy I was looking at the um the point that Rosemary brought up about the mind being capable of creating the eternal, but the ego's unwillingness to do that because it would require a state of clarity, um, which the ego, fearful of being judged truly, must avoid. <laughs> it's like, you know, here we go with the, um, how the ego uses time and um, to perpetuate its continuity, which the reading today in the text refers to, and, um, versus the constant changeless state of how we are in truth all the time, always, always have been, always will be. And um, there's no need to seek for anything or to improve or change or fix anything because nothing has ever been wrong here. We've never sinned. We've never been separate. 
you know, this is all just fantasy or an illusion or um, mistaken beliefs, mistaken perceptions. Misperception being undone, ergo, no need for perception anymore. So how readily, how ready are we to accept this as the truth and stand in, in the house of truth instead of, you know, continuing to think and talk and act as if we're something that we're not. So, here go, that's all. I'm complete. Thank you, Judy. Good morning, everyone. This is Lori. Because the mind with which I think, you know, um, this lesson probably as much as any other is really boundless and unlimited, big, huge. Um, uh, I want to say... Um, has no outer limits. God's mind with which I think. And and when I um, approach it, I love the way he says approach it as you would an altar to, to God and the, the Father and God the Son in heaven. Um, you know, I can feel feel a loosening even in my body when I when I let my mind flow there and and um, how do I say um, it's like the place where I get filled up you know and I don't even have a sense of what I'm filled up with just uh, everything I need is in that place. And I'm, I'm thinking back to the other day we read an escape from fear. Whenever you are not joyous, whenever you are not joyous, you have thought wrongly about some soul God created. Typically that, that soul is myself. You know, thought wrongly about myself. So change your mind to think with God's. And then he says, what have you thought that God would not have thought? And what have you failed to think that God would think? And there's a faculty uh, in my mind that knows the answer to that question when I'm absolutely honest in that place of light. I know the answers to that. Question, what have I thought? What have I failed to think? So I change my mind to think with God. And those thoughts, um, typically for me, don't have words, um, but they come with, they come bearing gifts. Those I recognize. 
the tranquility, the soft embrace, the quiet, the spaciousness, the peace, um, just the unconditional embrace of heaven, that state of mind where uh, for right now, this minute, everything is just perfect. I have no needs. And, and you know, we're doing that three times a day for five minutes. It's an invitation, you know, that I can do it more often or longer if I like. Um, but, but what I love about it is that those, those moments extend, you know, I don't mean in clock time, those moments extend my mind in such a way um, that mind, um, that mind starts flowing into the day, you know, and, uh, and that space goes with me. It's the background, it's the foundation, it's the, um, it's, it, well, milieu, it's the, um, the environment uh, that I take with me all through the day. It's as if the, the time in meditation extends throughout the day and, and, and embraces the day, you know? Um, and, and typically, uh, you know, the mind that I usually think with is nothing like that. Um, you know, the, the judgy uh, commentary that goes on all the time uh, kind of fades, you know? And when that fades, I'm able to experience what he's talking about as this constant state. The state, it seems to me, where if my mind were a sea, the state of constancy is the state where I'm able to freely think with God and express myself exactly how I feel, naturally. Um, there's a poem for that, no holding back. Um, so I wanted to talk about... Um, the problem, and, and he, he's talking about the problem in this reading. He describes the problem as dissociation and repression that interferes uh, with the constant state, the constant state of immortality, the awareness of the relationship of the Father to the Son that's always there in quiet as the background. Dissociation, um, uh, to me, in very short form, is the idea that there's distance. You know, when I'm afraid, and, and these two defenses, dissociation and repression, are consequences of fear. That's why that section, Escape from Fear, was so important escape from fear, to recognize that all I need ever do is change my mind when I'm having these effects that come from fear, anxiety, worry, 
um, not joyous, <laughs> sad, depressed, um, these feelings that come from the idea that there's a distance between my mind and God's. It's a defense mechanism, he says, and we're given to understand that when I don't perceive that distance between my mind and God's, I'm going to experience that love that God is and that I am. And when I experience that love that God is and that I am, I'm um, in a state where my natural impulses are not repressed. My natural impulses to miracles, my natural impulses to join with, my natural impulses to uh, be grateful, to have a place where I can express my love without, um, without the sonship, you know, um, all of that's impossible. Repression can be lifted, but without the sonship in which to express love, uh, we would be lost. And that's why he says, your gratitude to each other is the only gift I want. I will take it to the Holy One. Um, this business of brotherhood is so very important. And there comes a time, um, a wonderful time, I think, for every part to realize that um, separation, the idea that I'm separate from you or you're separate from me, is nothing more than an idea in my mind. That's what he means when he talks about this little gap. The little gap gets so, so small that knowledge can flow across it. Knowledge being the awareness that all is one forever. You know, he says the soul knows that the consciousness of all its brothers is included in its own. That one awareness uh, that we are together, uh, the self of God, the self, capital S, the true self that we were created to be. And that awareness um, cannot arrive without each other, you see. Um, without each other, we would never be able to narrow the gap that seems to exist in the mind. The thoughts I share with God are the same as the thoughts you share with God. You know? Um, gratitude. Gratitude. Never forget your indebtedness to your brother. How would I know what love is without you? You know, um, when I'm free of, um, I'm free in this space of unity. These five lessons, 41 through 45, are all about the unity we experience uh, as a consequence of our relationship to Source. I'm just going to turn to that real quick since I wound up there. God goes with me wherever I go. 
God is my strength. Vision is his gift. God is my source. I cannot see apart from him. God is the light in which I see. God is the mind with which I think. All of these five lessons are anchored on the soul's fixation in God. But the nature of that relationship is um, with all creation. You see, it's not... um, it's not just me and my own little boat. <laughs> so um, I just want to say how grateful I am for everyone who dials up this number in the morning, Monday through Friday, and joins in this space. There's no other place uh, that I have in my day where I can share these thoughts that I think with God and that I know you think with God. And the words that were given straight from the consciousness of Christ. And uh, there's nothing I value more in my day. Um, and to underscore, I think this is a really great story. Um, probably you've heard it from me before, but um, the really great story <clears throat> is about uh, the monk who meditated for years and years and years never found exactly the right place in which to meditate until one day he found a boat on a very quiet lake. No one was there and he took his little boat out to the to the middle of the lake and thought, this is perfect. Now, now I can join my mind to his source. This is the place. No interference. And so he's settling in to meditate. He can feel his mind lift and his thoughts lift and his cares lift. And suddenly something bumps his boat and he's drawn from his reverie instantly full of rage. Who in the world could have interrupted? Who had the gall to interrupt this perfect meditation? And what he saw was an empty boat and realized that rage is in me. That was in me. And so when these um, ideas of separation uh, are lifted, when fear resolves and I no longer need perceived distance and dissociation from myself and the mind of God. The nature of unity is such that I won't feel distance from my brothers by virtue of freedom. Freedom from the repression of the ego. I'll be able to express this love in a way that's shared because the function of love is one. And uh, I'd never know that without you all. So very, very, very grateful and um, thank you for sharing these words and this lesson with me today. I'm complete. Oh, thank you so much for that. Thank you, Laurie. And this is Donna. I, too, Laurie, have been so grateful Um to be able to speak.
spend time with quote unquote other souls and be able to let my soul uh, partake and lay aside that the the dream of me and uh, this place is really the only place that I too can do that and um, and the beautiful thing is when God wants us to be with our brothers and sisters that he's chosen and he already knows we can do it mind that this first book came to me we have a book barn here a huge place where just full of all kinds of books and I went there looking for something else beyond the dream probably dr. Horror's book <clears throat> but I always stopped and looked at other new age quote-unquote and it's the first time I've ever seen the Sims book and up on the shelf was the pocket edition and with the pearls on it and to think that I'm talking sitting here talking today because I went and I was led there it was like go to the book barn so it's not like I did this on my own I I I do hear from the Holy Spirit uh, constantly and and Jesus himself does speak to me <clears throat> particularly if I'm begging but anyway so uh, I picked this book up and I thought oh of course Christ and miracles because I was familiar with it I been given the book in 1985 which was also God's doing and uh, the FIP of course and I thought hmm how can I get this book because I don't have internet and I'm not in that stream and found that telephone number and the address of the Sims Society and I'm saying oh my god I called and I've told this story before called on a Sunday never thinking anybody would answer the phone and sure enough Reverend Regent Joy answered the phone and that's why I'm here today the Holy Spirit sent me into a secondhand book I picked that book up for four bucks and it has taken me into a life that has taken me from looking out and having grievances about people and not having any way to fix them because I didn't understand how to heal it and through this study of this book with the, with dr. Horace work I was able to more easily understand the course of miracles but it's just a magnificent thing <laughs> to come to know oh my god God's real Jesus is real and now I'm learning I'm real so thank you Lori for being real and living it so I can see what it's like your love is palpable I am complete oh that was beautiful Donna and I am real <laughs> that's oh that's just beautiful thank you yes it was thank you don't you just love how these things kind of sneak in while you're not looking um, I, I used to quote 
one of my very most favorite quotes in the book is reality is safe and sure and wholly kind to everyone and everything there is no greater love than to accept this and be glad for love gives everything love gives everything it's in chapter 16 it's quoted all the time and and one day I was um, just you know I don't even know what I was doing these things you know it seems to happen when I open a door or something anyway uh, into my mind pops I am reality safe and sure and holy kind as I, I would never you know Lori person would never have a thought like that on my own um, but here it just snuck in while I wasn't looking that um, this is the true nature of the self we are so well, thank you for saying that Donna it's um, it's really sweet when the blocks to love are lifted I'm complete going to join with Donna in um, thanking everybody on the call for um, just being so gracious and that word graciousness and in the in the text reading today where it talks about the the debt that we owe to each other um, for the graciousness of Christ in them to show us who we are in truth as being real it's being real in our oneness and in our one-mindedness and our in, in in the way that God created us to be united and in that state of grace and it 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 really it really comes from from people who like are alike and and in the likeness and qualities of our Creator who have patience and kindness and and um, um, gentleness. I love that word gentleness and tenderness um, to allow to allow us to express our our confusions and our doubts until we can see with clarity through the eyes of Christ on our own um, because we we've taught ourselves to look through the eyes of the body and and to be so judgmental and and the ego will defend that um, because that's the only safety and security that it knows, and how that you know we have this 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 um, shame and fear around that um, that keeps it hidden from us. But to 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 bring the illusion of that to the light 
and to be able to see through it clearly is where we where I learned to recognize um, the um, the futility of depending upon my ego for guidance in what I thought I needed or wanted um, and what I think I should do making decisions um, and I think um, this whole idea of judgment um, not just ju- judging things and people and places, but using Judy's judgment to make decisions. Um, and I think I, I expressed that earlier, that, that, that judgment and using um, the choice for de- decision to depend on Judy's willfulness um, in order to maintain her own sense of security and safety and protection instead of just relying and trusting in love and that everything, everything, everything is okay. It already is okay. It already is perfect. And um, trusting in that perfect love of God. And for the longest time I used to pray, make perfect to me what is perfect in me because there's a spot in the text where J.C. speaks of that. We will make perfect to you what is perfect in you. Um, but it, it it came it came it came to me when I um I I became ready enough not to trust on my own judgment anymore, and um, became willing instead of being willful and ego minded, I became willing to trust and depend upon and completely rely upon um, God, and recognizing my my. In truth, I mean, it's like letting go that whole illusion of surrendering my will to God, the illusion of surrendering control, when I really, the ego really never had any control over anything or anybody or any situation or circumstance. The illusion of letting the illusion go is what it talks about in the Manual for Teachers, that, you know, it's an illusion of surrendering, that... um, you know that the that it, why it seems so hard and difficult is because we've been efforting and straining and trying so hard, um, and just to relax, gently relax, and um, you know say you're in charge, Holy Spirit, be you in charge. <laughs> that natural ease and comfort of trusting and depending upon God and the freedom that comes with that and the joy that comes with that, releasing the burden of judgment that I have to figure anything at all out, that everything is already okay and that I'm okay and that when I'm okay, everything is okay. And, um, and that's really the only way that everything can be okay for me is when I recognize that. So the um, concentrating on... Uh, the phrase, here I am, Lord, you know, have your way with me, you know, putting my desire uh, to wanting only love, to wanting only to be love, to wanting only to teach love, because that is what I am. And, you know, relaxing, just relaxing, because it's, it's the most natural and easy thing in the world to be loving. And to think of myself as um, the consciousness, the mind of God itself, constantly in direct communication with God because he's everywhere with me wherever I go and in that calm 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 tranquil mind which relieves me of thinking 
about anything, you know, in, in that direct, distinct consciousness of God, that awareness of God that is aware of everything as itself, um, the creator of that mind, um, that created everything in, in its own mind and knows everything as itself, um, capital itself, in its oneness. It's, it's, it's a very powerful, miraculous, right-minded kind of a mind um, that sees with clarity simply everything as one and the same and not different, everything equally deserving of honor and respect and, and appreciation as being a gift, everything as being a gift. And um, without any resistance, resistance or avoiding or distancing or disassociating from anything. You know, we can get into all these fancy psychological terms, but um, I like, I'm really wanting to keep it simple. And, um, you know, that a little, it refers to all knowledge, all being one and the same, and a little knowledge um, in this context being the same because um, just a little bit of knowledge, knowing I am, be still and know I am, is enough. That's all it takes. Relax, be still, forget everything I think I know. And a little knowledge is as all-encompassing as all knowledge, a little bit of knowledge that God created a flower, I didn't. God created a tree, I didn't. God created me, I didn't. Um, it's all universally applicable. God's will is universally ap- applicable in every situation and circumstance. Everything wants to be happy. Everything wants to be nurtured and loved. And everything um, wants to be at peace and in harmony. And everyone seeks that without even knowing it. It's just our natural way of being because we all are a part of the kingdom of God. So that's all for now, folks. I am complete. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Judy. Thank you, Judy. One, one thing it, in the text, it says, the Holy One shares my trust and always approves my atonement decisions because my will is never out of accord with his. And, you know, learning to trust the Holy Spirit to interpret the way I perceive things. And if anything ever hurts me or troubles me or makes me afraid that he's my constant capital companion, um, and that I need not fear, and, and that there's no fear in perfect love is something that I must always remember, because fear is always of my own making, and he, he, he can't undo that, but he can step around it and, and help me to get over it. <laughs> help Jude get over Jude. <laughs> okay, I'll be quiet now. Thank you. <clears throat> oh, that's for sure. Thank you, Jenny.
Uh, thank you, Judy. Well, there's several we haven't heard from yet this morning. I would sure love to. Give you some space. Hi, this is RJ. The previous speaker uh, said something about that living a life without fear. I have a question about um, are there two types of fear? Are there mental and emotional fears and then fears of the body? Um, or is all fear uh, one, one complete fear, if that question makes sense? Because sometimes I have a very peaceful day but yet um, I still have occasional body fears, especially in traffic and when there's certain, like just out of the ordinary disruptions. So my question. Thanks, RJ. I think I, think I can find you something on that. Thanks, RJ. Oh, this is Lemoyne. I I think of fear as uh, you know the line later in the text where it says fear is a judgment never justified. So it, it's it's specific. Fear is is always experienced alone um, as an experience and. Uh, Yeah, so it it is, uh, this is the way in which the ego and the world, I think, the way, one way that definitely the text says they don't exist is because we, you know, we each inhabit a world of our own making based on fears of our own making kind of thing. So it's the... uh, individualized to the point where it doesn't relate to the whole. And <clears throat> and, and therefore is not true or eternal. You know, all fears are alike, though, in, in that way, that they, they are illusions. And, uh, you know, I think the only difference to the body <clears throat> or in the body between fear and excitement is what we have it mean. And uh, therefore, they have different knockout effects. <laughs> we carry different things <laughs> away from it. So anyway, and I- I'll stop there. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Good morning, Lemoyne, and morning. thank you. Yeah, good morning, Lemoyne. Nice to hear you. Good morning, Lemoyne.
I do like the part of the lesson that was today's lesson that um, the fear of the thoughts that I share with God have been there and never leave and they've always been there. I love that. I love that thought. And today's lesson reminds me that I can spend an entire day with zero distraction. I can spend a day going deep into the truth. It's it's a beautiful lesson today and I'm complete. Yes. I agree. Thank you. Thank you, RJ. Yeah. I do too. Thank you, RJ. I think um, as regards the fear question, um, I think he gives us an answer in this reading where he says, I am conditioning you to associate misery with the ego and joy with the soul. And you know, uh, fears fears are like other beliefs or concepts you know we don't go around with a list of them in our pockets you know I don't for sure um, but life happens and it's in the um, it's in the revealing of my responses to life uh, where I uh, can get um, where I can allow whatever is there to arise you know because I don't carry a list of what I'm afraid of in fact he says it, you're not really afraid of fear <laughs> you know you're so used to being fearful that you're not even aware that you are uh, defense mechanisms kick in automatically to um, maintain that little barrier of protection that we think we uh, have but over the course of um, moment to moment experience of life when I'm paying attention uh, it is revealed to me that oh I feel a need to withdraw from this I feel I need to contract or um, I'm alerted to something that I wasn't aware of at all you know and to watch my thinking and, and that's what he means to me anyway when he talks about conditioning you to associate misery with the ego and joy with the soul and I'm watching my thinking I become aware of how my thinking about whatever contributes to the feeling that arises um, pardon that ringing there um, the, the thinking that I uh, entertain is what um, precedes my feeling of fear you see and so when I'm watching my thinking watching my thoughts then I have distance between me and the thoughts and I can recognize that I am not the thought 
but I'm the one entertaining the thought. Now I have enough space between me and the thought that I can evaluate, is this true? Uh, I don't know. And the answer is just automatically given to my mind. He says that <clears throat> mind automatically moves in the direction of change to the to right thinking. The mind automatically moves when it's aware or when it's made aware or becomes aware or alerts to the fact that it's entertaining falsehood. You know, so when I'm aware of my thinking, I'm watching my thoughts and I've got that space between me and the thought where I can recognize, uh, is this a road I want to go down? Uh, probably not. And do I need this thought? Do I need this thought? Um, and eventually, uh, through that kind of conditioning, mind comes to realize that uh, there are true thoughts that lead to peace and expansion and generosity and spaciousness, and then there are thoughts that go the opposite direction. One is associated with misery and the other with joy, you know? And um, and that's how these fear thoughts that I wasn't even aware of are um, are brought to light, you know? Of course, the love is really good about this where it says, you know, I don't have to go looking for all the things I'm afraid of. I don't have to go examining my mind for erroneous thinking. Rather, um, if I have um, ideas or thoughts that are interfering with peace, uh, I sit and I look and I judge not. And they arise to the surface and it's yesterday's reading we didn't get a chance to really take a hit on this but yesterday's reading began with all things work for good all things all things work for good I'm going to read it all things work together for good there are no exceptions except in the ego's judgment if I can just accept that life presents itself to me as an opportunity for my good that's how it presents to me in, in truth and learn to trust that then I can come to recognize that everything is an opportunity for me to discover whether or not my thinking is correct when it's not correct when I'm not in my right mind I'm not happy when I am in my right mind I'm happy and it's of the recognition that life is presenting that to me moment to moment to moment that uh, I become free to choose um, the direction I want to go and recognizing that life is leading me that way that all things are working in my favor that everything is serving my highest and best good that I can only be blessed um, I start to trust this process of um, conditioning I am conditioning you to associate misery with the ego and joy with the soul and it's um, that paying attention you know just soften enough that I can accept life as it comes 
and uh, pay attention to how I'm thinking uh, that I wind up um, becoming free of all of that ego uh, conditioning that is a result of fear. So um, thanks for that question, RJ. That was really, really good. I'm glad um, we did can that. I, yeah, can I yeah. jump in with like a, a follow-up quickie here? Oh, please do. Um, yeah, all things work for good. And then you said, um, accept the ego's interpretation. Um, so I think I agree with that. I think it means that all things work for good. But if I have an egoic interpretation, I am going to be afraid or I am going to have some fear or anxiety. Um, I think that I have met people that have told me that even the even the ego's interpretation is good. And then that really confuses me. So maybe someone can help me or you can help me, Lori, uh, clarify that because all things do work for you. I think some people get caught up in the word all. All things work for good would then mean that the ego's interpretation is also good. But then if I have an egoic interpretation that creates fear and anxiety, then how can fear and anxiety be good? Except maybe yeah. to teach me that it's not good. So um, that's my <laughs> Yeah, it gets kind of circular, doesn't it? Um I try to avoid that kind of complexity. Right, um, right. Because it's, ask, it's, it's asking me to make an evaluation. And I, um, I stay away from that uh, by simply yeah. saying, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Mm. And now, now my mind is free. I can be taught. Um, I can ask. I can inquire. And if it's important for me to know, I'll be informed of it. If it's not... Um, then I need not be concerned. So mm, the more, nice I'm it. telling you, yeah. I, I can go through my day, um, yeah, and one day I did actually, you know, you maybe haven't heard me say this story, but one day I took a piece of architectural paper, graph paper, and I decided to color in a square every time I heard my mind make a declaration, this is, that is, this is, that is. I think, I think, I think. Um, and I, I couldn't believe how many squares I colored in in a day. And I thought, I'm going to do that differently. Um, whenever I hear myself make those, you know, the mind is constantly chattering. This is this, this is this, this is this. Have an opinion, have an opinion, have an opinion. You know, it's, it's, it's like mind is just like that thumbs up, thumbs down on Facebook. It's constantly running like that. And if I can recognize that it's doing that, and every time I hear or you know, I'm aware that it's doing that, I can say, I don't know. It's like I'm erasing the blocks on that paper. Pretty soon, um, I'm telling you, it didn't take very long with that practice to recognize that I don't have to pay attention to that chatter. And in fact, if I don't pay attention to it, it doesn't seem to be there um, because it's made of nothing. You know, it's mm-hmm. just an assemblage mm-hmm. of ideas and beliefs and concepts and declarations and opinions and and all of that is not fact, except as in um, the opinion of the ego. <laughs> you know, that's how it uh, colors my day, and it's how I can free 
free myself from a lot of that kind of um, chatter by just recognizing um, that it's my mind that's doing this and I don't know. I don't need that. So, excellent question. Thank you. Yeah, and all things all things good do work for all things real, then that's the only, there's only, only reality exists. So all things real do work for good and all things illusion are illusions. So, you know, it's pretty simple. You just keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I like it simple. <clears throat> Thank you, both of you. Well, I, I am going to get off the call just want to wish you all a, a very happy Valentine's Day. Do something loving and pass it on. Take care. Bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, bless you, Diana. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for pitching in today. <laughs> um, My pleasure. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. <clears throat> you guys, I, I want to um, end this recording with a poem, if you don't mind. And we'll stay on the call, of sure. course, after the recording. This brief poem um, that I think um, is a beautiful expression of today's lesson as well as today's reading. It's from Rainier Maria Rilke. Can't say that very fast. In light of God is the mind with which I think here's a poem. I believe in all that has never yet been spoken. I want to free what waits within me so that what no one has dared to wish for may for once spring clear without my contriving. If this is arrogant, God forgive me, but this is what I need to say. May what I do flow from me like a river. No forcing and no holding back the way it is with children. Then in these swelling and ebbing currents, these deepening tides moving out and returning, I will sing you as no one ever has, streaming through widening channels into the open sea. Um, what a beautiful description of the flow. Mm-hmm. So thank you, everyone. I'll end the recording. and. Uh, as so often is the case, we stay out and chat. <laughs>